All right. Good morning, everyone. Oh, come on. We have to do this every week. Good morning, everyone. There you go. Now you got it. So next week, you're just going to be ready to go, right? So good to see all of you here. If you're a guest with us here today, we're especially glad that you're here. If you wouldn't mind, take a communication card out of the seat back in front of you. Fill that out and drop it in one of the wooden boxes on your way out today. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. There is also a QR code on there. If you don't want to fill out the card, you can scan that QR code. It'll take you right to the place that you need to be to fill out that information and to learn more about living water. But we are glad that you are here with us today. Coming up in uh, two weeks on Sunday night at six o'clock, we have our new members banquet. If you are uh, new to Living Water, or maybe you've been here for a while and you haven't become a member and you'd like to know more about what Living Water is about, then that is the time to come. And you will learn everything about Living Water from its beginning to now and to uh, where we're moving in the days ahead. So come, be a part of that, and uh, there's no obligation. You don't have to sign up for anything. You just get to come and learn about Living Water and Hopefully you'll come and join us that night. There's a sign-up sheet on the back table, um, right back there. You can sign up this morning before you leave. You can also take one of those communication cards and put on there that you would like to come to the new members banquet and give us your information on there. Or you can go to the website, go to the calendar, look for that event uh, on the calendar on that Sunday night, last Sunday night of this month, and it'll take you to a form to fill out. So made it very simple. You just need to let us know that you're coming because we're going to have some great food that night and we want to make sure that there's enough for me and you both. All right. So uh, look forward to that. If you have your Bibles this morning, please open them to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And in just a moment, we're going to be looking at Revelation 19. So be finding that as well. Today we close out a series that we have been in for the last several weeks that we've been calling The Final Countdown. We started this series by looking at the next main event on God's prophetic calendar, which is the rapture of the church that we see in 1 Thessalonians. That is not the second coming of Christ. The rapture of the church is when the church is snatched up, that is taken. We meet the Lord in the air. Those that have died first will rise first. Those of us that remain will be caught up together with them. Then we looked in Matthew chapter 24 in the first 14 verses uh, where Jesus is answering the question of his disciples when they ask, what are the signs of your coming? What are the signs of the end of the age? And Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives with them gives, starts giving them a list of here are the signs that you need to look for. And then last week we looked at how to be ready and waiting for his return. And that brings us to this final message today. The king is coming. Again, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, which we'll be looking at in a moment, Jesus with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, he is sharing with them prophetic events. The things that he is sharing with them is not what has happened or what was happening in their day. These are things that are to come. So he's giving them prophetic events. And if you'll remember at the first of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says that the temple that they had just left, that the disciples were amazed at of its beauty, he said this temple is going to be destroyed and there will not be one stone left upon the other. And in 70 AD, that temple was destroyed, just like Jesus said that it was going to be destroyed. There was not one stone 
left upon the other. So there's one thing that I, I know about prophecy, and that is a person that gives prophecy, if they're not correct in that prophecy, you don't need to listen to them, right? We have people out there that will tell you they're prophetic and they give you events that are going to come and when those events don't happen then they change the date and say well it's going to be on this date or now something else has happened. They begin to come up with excuses on events. But I can tell you this, when you look at the words of Jesus Christ, what he says is going to happen, you can trust that they're going to happen, right? We can trust his word and Jesus going through Matthew 24, he's saying here's the events that are coming. And you can count on them because everything that Jesus says is true and they will happen. So there's no better place to look than to look at Jesus Christ himself when it comes to prophecy. Now some people look at prophecy and they like it because they're curious about things that are going to come or uh, they're looking at it for different reasons. But Warren Wiersbe wrote this about prophecy. He said, the purpose of prophecy is not to entertain the curious but it is to encourage the consecrated. So the reason that we have been in this series of messages over the last several weeks is not to look at things that we're curious about, but to look at how we can have hope in this world that we live in today. To look at how we can live each and every day with confidence in Christ, who He is, what He's done, and what He's getting ready to do. We can live each day with confidence because of the hope that we have in Him. And I hope that's what you've got out of these messages. Hopefully it's been an encouragement to us to know that Jesus Christ is coming again. We can count on that and we can live each day expecting His return. I've mentioned this I think every week and I'll mention it again. But almost every day I get up and I look around and think, is today the day? Well, Friday night, I think it was, I was standing out in the backyard and clouds were coming in and I was just looking at the clouds and the sun was shining off of them and they were kind of fascinating. Well, as I was sitting there staring at the clouds, the clouds started to part right where I was looking. And I got excited. And I said, is this it? Is Jesus coming right now? We are to look for His return with that kind of anticipation, with that kind of eagerness. Could right now be the day that Christ returns. Now I have to admit a few minutes later started sprinkling on me so I went inside and I was a little bit disappointed. Not disappointed in the rain. We prayed for rain for a long time and I'm glad we're getting the rain but I was disappointed that I was still there while it was raining because I thought Jesus might be coming again. But here's the reality of today. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, how has that changed our lives? How does that affect the way that we live our life each and every day? If we are eagerly waiting His return, then it should make a difference in our life each and every day as we look to the sky and we are excited about what is to come. So look with me if you would, chapter 24 of uh, Matthew, and we will begin reading in verse 15. Now again, I remind you that we looked at verses 1 through 14 two weeks ago, so we're going to pick up where we left off there. And it says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. 
A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I've warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or if he is hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with his mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your word that encourages. I thank you for your word that convicts, your word that instructs. And God, I pray that as we study this scripture today, that it would not be my word about your word that would be spoken, but it would be you speaking to each one of our hearts today. And we would hear you as you reveal to each one of us what you would have us to see through your word today. And we thank you for your word that will accomplish what you have set forth for it to accomplish today. In Christ's name, I pray. I want you to take a look back at verse 29. I want you to see what Jesus says in verse 29. He says, immediately after the anguish of those days. And he goes on to say that immediately at the, after the anguish of those days, at the end of it, then I am coming again. So what are the days that he is talking about? And when will he come again? Well, I love that word, immediately. He doesn't say that sometime after the end of those days, at some period of time later, he says immediately at the end of those days. Right after he says, if those days were not shortened, no one would have survived them. So Jesus is going to come, and he's going to come immediately at the end of those days, so we need to know what those days are that he is talking about. And the days that Jesus is talking about is the days of the seven-year tribulation and specifically the days of the great tribulation time, which is the final three and a half years of that time. Now keep in mind that the first 14 verses of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that in the last days, you'll see many that are going to come and they're going to claim that they are the Messiah. They're going to come and claim that they are the Christ. And we see that even today in our world. 
And he says that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And that there will be increase in natural disasters and famines. That there will be increased hatred and persecution of followers of Christ. The love of people will grow cold towards one another. And the gospel message will be spread all around the world. That is what we see in the first 14 verses. And then when we get to verse 15, he says, here's what's going to happen. What Daniel prophesied is what you're going to see. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. So what in the world was Daniel talking about that Jesus is pointing to? Well, Daniel was talking about the Antichrist that is going to come during that tribulation time. Now, Jesus said there's going to be a lot of antichrists that are going to come. Those are antichrists, people that are against Christ. But one day, there is an antichrist that will come into the world, that will rule the world, and people will fall down and they will worship this antichrist. And then Jesus says that the day is coming that Daniel prophesied about. If you go back into Daniel, the prophecy involves 70 weeks. We call it the 70 weeks of Daniel. And the Hebrew word for week means a week of years. Now, hang with me for just a second on this. I don't want to confuse you, but I might. So, a week of years, or seven years. Seventy-seven would equal 490 years. But this period of 490 years is broken up into three different parts. And the first part, during seven weeks, or 49 years the city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt and worship would be reestablished. That happened. And then after 63 weeks, which equals up to 434 years after that first 49 years, the Messiah would come to Jerusalem and the Messiah would come to die for the sins of the world. That has happened. And then Daniel talks about this final seven years, where the prince will make an agreement with the Jews, according to Daniel, for one week. And that one week is equal to seven years. And he will make this agreement with them to protect them from their enemies. And he says the prince will come and he will make this agreement. And this prince that he's talking about is the Antichrist. Now, I don't know if you pay attention to the news or worldwide events, but anytime you turn on the news, you will see something about Israel. Israel is always a focus in the news. And the reason that is, is because there are a lot of enemies against Israel. There's a lot of people in the world that want to take Israel out. They want to take the Jews out. And so everything at this time is going to build up towards Israel. So keep an eye on what is happening in Israel and you will understand a little bit more about what Jesus is talking about when this final day comes about. And so he says that this one will come, this prince will come, and he will make a firm covenant with Israel for one week. But he goes on to say in Daniel 9.27, he says, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering." And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So here's what Daniel is saying. He's saying there's one that is coming. 
He's going to make a peace treaty with Israel. He's going to be able to do what no one else has been able to do. And the whole world is going to look and there's going to say, there is peace in the Middle East. And this guy is going to rise up in the world that is looking for hope. They're looking for that kind of leader. They're going to fall in love with this guy. And they're going to say, look at all the great things that he is doing. But in the three and a half year period of that seven year period, at three and a half years in, he is going to break that covenant with Israel. And he is going to move himself into the temple where the worship of God should be taking place. And he's going to declare that he is the one to be worshipped. And he goes on to say that he's going to place an image on the corner of the temple. And that everyone will want to bow down and worship that image. Now keep in mind also during this time, we'll talk about in a moment, is a false prophet that's going to encourage people to worship that image. And this is what is taking place that Daniel is talking about. And then Jesus goes on in this passage to give the readers instruction on what to do when they see these things taking place. Now keep in mind, he is in Israel, he is talking about the Jewish people. And he says, when y'all see these things taking place, then what you need to do is you need to head to the hills. You need to run. You need to hide. If you're working on a roof, don't go down and try to pack bags. If, if you're out in the field, don't try to go home and get a coat. You need to flee because very troubled times are here. Remember that in the beginning or at the end of uh, chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus is looking at the people in Israel and he says, I wanted you. I came to you, but you have rejected me, and you continue to reject me. And then he said, you will not see me again until I return. And so he's talking to these people. He says, when you see these things happening, you need to flee. You need to run, and you need to hide. Now, through the Scripture, we get an idea of what this terrible time is is going to look like? What is this seven-year tribulation time going to look like? How bad is it going to be? Well, I'm going to lay out a few things that we see in Scripture, uh, but I want to tell you, even as we hear these, I don't think our minds can even comprehend how horrible that time is going to be up on the earth. But as we look through Scripture, we see several things. First of all, there will be worldwide deception. And again, Daniel talks about the Antichrist that's going to come. We also see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This man that's going to step up on the scene. He will become this great world leader. It will uh, happen quickly and people will be excited that we finally have the leader that we have always wanted. We finally have a leader that's bringing hope to this chaotic world. We finally have a leader that can step up and he can control and he can rule the world in the way that it needs to be controlled and world. In, in this world. And so we have this guy that will deceive many people. But not only him, as I've already mentioned, you also have the false prophet that will appear during that time. We see the false prophet in Revelation chapter 13 when he comes on the scene. And the whole role of the false prophet is to get people to look at the Antichrist as the Messiah. To look at the Antichrist as the true Savior of the world. He will go around and he will perform many great miracles that will keep people in awe. And they will say, well, if he is able to do such great miracles, then what he is saying must be true. And we need to worship this beast, this Antichrist. Now, the power of the Antichrist and the false prophet will come 
from Satan himself. And people will worship him. Satan has always wanted the people to worship him. And during that last three and a half years of the tribulation time, that's what will happen. People will be worshiping this Antichrist. They will be worshiping this one that is controlled by Satan himself. And Satan will enjoy the worship. Then there will be tremendous worldwide disasters. We see these things play out as you read through the book of Revelation. I just want to, again, point a few of them out. But we see in Revelations 8-7 that there will be hell mixed with fire that will be hurled down upon the earth. And a third of the earth's vegetation will be destroyed. In Revelation 8, verses 8 and 9, something like a mountain ablaze will be thrown into the sea. And a third of the living creatures in the sea will die. A third of the ships in the sea will be destroyed. And a third of the sea, or in the sea, will turn into blood. Revelation chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we see a blazing torch fall from the sky. And a third of the rivers and the springs turn bitter. And it says that many will die from the bitter waters. In Revelation 8.12, the world will be darkened. A third of the day and a third of the night will be darkened. And a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars will turn dark. In Revelation 16.2, it describes ugly and painful sores that break out on the people who have accepted the mark of the beast. In Revelation 16.3 and 4, all the water in the sea and the rivers and springs turns to human-like blood and all of the life in the sea dies. In Revelation 16.8 and 9, the sun becomes so hot, the people on the earth are scorched by its great heat. There will be a great time of persecution for anyone who is living on the earth that is trying to live for Christ, that is following Christ. They will die because of their faith, their allegiance to Christ. Revelation chapter 20 gives us an image of those that were beheaded through this great tribulation time because of their allegiance to Christ. It will be a horrible time to live and you can kind of see why. Jesus says, when you see this happening, run to the hills. Get out of there because this is going to be a horrible time upon this earth. And these are just a few of the things, a sample of what we see in scripture and how terrible that day is going to be. And Jesus says, immediately. Immediately at the end of the day, when I cut those days short, immediately I am coming again. That is good news, isn't it? Even at that point in time. I mean, I'm looking forward to the rapture. But at the end of the tribulation time, Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, that's when he will set his feet on this earth. And he says it's going to be immediate. Remember in the rapture, the church is snatched out of the world. It's a secret event for those that are living in the world that aren't taken up. They won't know what has happened. They won't see Christ. They won't see the Christians rising up. It's a secret event. But this is not going to be a secret event when Jesus comes again. The King is coming and the world will see as we will see in a moment. So there's a couple things that I want us to see about His coming. There are several things that we can point out through our Scripture today and again as we look over at Revelation 19 in just a moment. So the first thing is this. Jesus is coming again and He is coming in person. Look back at verse 30 in Matthew 24. It says, And then at last, the sign of the Son of Man is coming 
will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So Jesus says, Son of Man, I'm coming again. I'm coming in the clouds and the whole earth is going to see me. But he says there's going to be great mourning upon the earth. Well, why is there going to be great mourning when Jesus comes again immediately after those days? You think people would be ready and looking for him at that time, right? Well, we'll see in a moment that they're not. But Jesus is coming again, and he says, they're going to see me, but there's going to be great mourning that's going to happen. And the reason that there will be great mourning, because as it turns out, Jesus Christ truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all these folks that are on the earth are folks that have had opportunity after opportunity to receive Him as their Lord and Savior, just like we have. They've had opportunity to see that He truly is the Son of God, and they have rejected Him time and time again. And because they have rejected Him, now they find themselves in this horrible situation, and they look up, and they see Him, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh, truly He is who He said He was. Truly, He is the King of kings. And so, at this terrible time, the whole world will see Him. Matter of fact, if you were to look at Revelation 16, 9, it says that as the sun scorched them with intense heat, that they cursed God, and they refused to repent, and refused to turn to Him. Throughout the Revelation uh, the book of Revelation, you see all these different events going on, and they still refused to acknowledge God. They still refused to repent, and now they see this one that they have turned against, this one that they have refused to follow, and he's coming on the clouds. Jesus is coming in person, and the whole world is going to see him as he comes on the clouds. I find that's going to be a, a, a fascinating time to me. You know, it's easy in our day to see how the whole world can see one event that's going on in a different part of the world. We have live television. I mean, we can see it instantly as it's happening. We also have our cell phones, right, that people can break out and they can film something. They can send that. and People can watch it live even as they're filming it on their camera. So there's lots of ways that people could see an event like this that's going to take place on the other side of the earth. But I believe this, it's not going to be by technology. That people are going to look up in the sky and they're going to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with their very eye. And they are going to know exactly who He is. There's not going to be a question on that day. I don't think it's going to be a time that people are looking up going, what is that? Uh, aliens are coming, right? It, no, they're going to know exactly who it is when they see Jesus Christ because He is coming in person and they will recognize Him on that day and that's why they will mourn because it's true that Jesus Christ truly is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming in person and everyone will see Him. And He is also coming in power and glory. It goes on to say they're going to see Him in the clouds as He comes in power and glory. So flip over to Revelation, the 19th chapter. In Revelation chapter 19, we get an image of what this time is going to look like when Jesus comes again. We get a picture of His return. And if this doesn't get you excited today, then your exciteder is broken. All right, because Jesus is coming again, and this is going to be a wonderful event. All right, Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. 
He says, Then I saw heaven opened up, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule with them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want you to take a moment this morning and I just want you to kind of wrap your mind around this image that we get in Revelation, the 19th chapter of what the return of Christ is going to be. As the heavens open up and there's a white horse and Christ, the rider of that white horse, is there. And there will be no question of who he is. They will know that he is the king of kings. It's written on his robe. They won't be able to miss it. But it says uh, that his title was the Word of God. Remember in John 1 where he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ that is talking about, and Jesus Christ coming back at the end of the tribulation time to end everything that has been going on in this world, all the evil once and for all. Now the first time that Jesus came, the world did not notice this baby in a manger. They did not take the time to stop and to recognize who he is. But the second time that he comes, the whole earth will stop and they will take notice as Jesus comes in the clouds. The first time Jesus came, he came as the gentle lamb who offers salvation to the world. But the second time that he comes, he comes as the mighty warrior that will judge the world. The first time that Jesus came, they mocked him as he hung on the cross. They put a sign up above him that said, this is the king of the Jews. But when Jesus comes the second time, he will come with power and glory. And that wonderful name that is written on his robe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And everyone will recognize it. Everyone will see him for who he truly is. Zechariah, the great prophet, talks about the power of Christ when he returns. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4, he says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half of the mountain will move toward the north, half toward the south. Jesus coming again is going to come in power and in glory. And the prophet tells us that when he comes, he will come back to the Mount of Olives, the same place where he is meeting with the disciples as he's telling them this is what the end of days is going to look like. And he is coming back with such power that when he places his feet on the Mount of Olives, that that mount is going to split in half. And one side is going to move one direction. The other side is going to move the other direction. There will be no doubt of who Jesus is when he steps his feet up on this earth. Jesus is coming again. The king is coming. And what a great day that will be. Coming in power and in glory. And then I love this. 
that we see in Revelation, the 19th chapter. He ain't coming alone. Jesus is not coming alone. Look at verse 14 in chapter 19. He says, The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Who's the armies of heaven? Well, the armies of heaven and those that have been redeemed and glorified through Jesus Christ. That's those that have placed their faith in Christ, their faith and trust in Christ and Him alone. Remember when we looked at 1 Thessalonians and Paul writing, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about what's going to happen, about those that have died in Christ. And he goes on to say that when the rapture happens, that those that have died in Christ will rise first, and those of us that remain will meet them in the air. When he talks about the armies of heaven, those that have died first are going to be a part of those, that army. Those of us that remain that will meet them in the air are going to be a part of that army. And it won't just be us, but in Revelation where it talks about those that give up their life for Christ during that tribulation time, they too will be a part of that great army that is going to come. And it says that they are dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Meaning that we have been washed, we have been cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are now pure in Him. There's nothing against us at that point. And it says they followed Him on white horses. So Christ coming on a white horse. And we're coming back with Him on a white horse as His army. Now that part kind of scares me a little bit. Because I'm not a horse rider. I love horses. I love going out and petting horses and all that. But it has never made sense to me why anybody would climb on the back of something that has a mind of its own that is bigger than they are and more powerful than they are. And so now it says we're going to be climbing on the backs of these white horses coming with him in this army. I have a feeling, though, that that's going to be a horse ride that I'm going to love, 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 thoroughly enjoy. Nothing to be worried about there because we are coming back with Christ. We will be his army. But guess what? It says that when he comes back, he, he defeat, defeats his enemies of the world. And he's got this great army with him. But he doesn't defeat the enemies of the world with this great army. He defeats his enemies with the word of his mouth. That's power. The word of his mouth. And we are just there to enjoy the ride. We are just there to enjoy that moment. You see, God doesn't need us at that moment. He allows us to join him in that moment. And just as he allows us to join him in that moment, he allows us to join him in the work that he is even doing today. And that is a great privilege that we have as believers, to join God in the work that he is doing. So if we're going to live with confidence in this world today, knowing that we are living in the last days, if we're going to live with confidence and hope, we need to join him in the work that he's already doing because God is at work around us today. He is working. He is still changing lives today. And he invites us to be a part of that. To join him in his work here. Now, there's a truth that we must all face today. We're all going to stand before God one day. And we will either stand before him as Savior. Or we will stand before him as Judge. Those that stand before him as Savior will spend eternity with him in heaven. But those that stand before him as judge 
will spend eternity separated from him in the lake of fire. We see this in Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about the final judgment. And at that final judgment, the book of life is opened up. And those names who are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Now there's only one way to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and by making him the Lord and Savior of your life. Choosing to follow him. Salvation comes through Christ and through Christ alone. It is not by any of our good deeds. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's not hope uh, that we have that maybe someday God will look at me and say, you're okay, you can come on in. That's not the way that it is. Because the Bible says that we are not good enough. In our righteousness, we never measure up. But we can be there through the righteousness of Christ and what he has done for us by receiving him as our Lord and Savior. That means that we recognize that we have sinned against God and our sin has separated us from him. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And that means that we repent of that sin and we turn to him, asking him for forgiveness and allowing him to be the Lord and Savior of our life. It's not about coming to church. Coming to church is important. It's great to come and to be around other believers and to learn together. But coming to church won't get you to heaven. And it's not about good deeds and good works. That won't get you to heaven. The only thing that will get us there, the only thing that gets our name in the book of life is Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and us placing our faith and trust in him. Heard this story one day that Calvin Coolidge, while he was vice president, he was presiding over the Senate. And there was an argument that broke out on the Senate floor between two senators. The argument kept going and it was getting more and more heated. And finally, one of the senators looked at the other one and he said, you can just go to hell. And that senator that was told that looked at Calvin Coolidge, who was presiding over the Senate. Calvin Coolidge looked at him and he said, I've looked through the rule book and you don't have to go. Can I tell you something? I have looked through God's rule book and you don't have to go you don't have to be separated you don't have to hear those words depart from me because I never knew you and be cast into the lake of fire you can be a part of that great army that comes back when Christ returns have you placed your faith and trust in him every head bowed every eye closed I want you to think about that. And I want you to ask yourself that question. Have I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Today, if you have never done that, right where you're at, if God is speaking to your heart, you can open up your heart to him. You can allow him today to be your Lord and Savior. And you can have confidence to know that you are safe and secure in him. And you can live your life with hope today. Father, I thank you for your word that directs, that challenges, that convicts. God, I thank you for the hope that we have today through Jesus Christ and in him alone. 
God, I pray right now that your spirit would just be free to work in our hearts and our lives. And God, you would show each one of us what you would have us to see today. And God, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know for sure that they have a right relationship with you. They've never made you the Lord and Savior of their life. That today your spirit would just draw them unto yourself. And that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, I pray for those of us that have made that decision. God, we would live each day with confidence. We would live each day with hope. Knowing that that good work that you have began in us, you will continue. You will see it through until that day that we are with you. God, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you that through Christ we can have that salvation. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.